0: Uh, I ran across this uh, company this week that puts out an, an annual survey. Uh, the, the company's called Wallet Hub, and uh, it's a secular company, and they, they, they do this list every year to find out the top darkest cities in the United States. And by dark, they mean the, the most sinful cities. Uh, and there's a list of 180 cities that they list Big shout out to the sinners in Winston Salem because we made the list at. (laughs) He's like, ooh, no wait, we shouldn't be proud about that. Uh, 132. We are now. Winston Salem is the 132nd most darkest city in the country. Here's here's how the data ranges. Um, They have 37 different key indicators of what they call evil deeds. Um, The data ranges from uh, the amount of violent crimes per capita to excessive drinking, uh, drug overdoses, and even the number of adult entertainment establishments per capita. They put all of these together to calculate where are the darkest places in the corners of our country. Uh, Probably doesn't come as a surprise to you. The city uh, that I love, New Orleans, rounds out the top ten, home to the most decadent party uh, that the country has ever seen annually in in Mardi Gras. Uh, Atlanta was number five. Check out this stat. Uh, Atlanta has more strip clubs per capita than anywhere in the world. There's Atlanta for you. Number three, St. Louis. What's so wrong with St. Louis? Uh, St. Louis is number one in the country for violent crimes per capita and number one in the country for thefts per capita. So in St. Louis, like, if you got it, they want it, and they're going to steal it from you. Um, so that, that, that ranks them number three. And then, of course, number one, shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone, is Las Vegas. Uh, it even has the nickname Sin City. Uh, when you live in a city that has the motto, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, like that, that tells you some stuff happens in Vegas, right? That, that was actually the saying that their um, tourism bureau came up with. They wanted to brand their city as a place where you could come in for a weekend and do whatever you wanted and there would be no consequences, You can come and and participate in anything and do anything, and and instead of being filled with regret, you can just leave and go back home, and on Monday morning, your life will be as if nothing happened. Uh, They champion it, that is, whatever you do, you don't have to worry about the consequences today. We're going to look at a church, the third church in this series of revelations. that uh, The church is located in a place called Pergamum, And uh, Pergamum would be the the Las Vegas of Asia Minor, right? I mean, in fact... Pergamum makes Las Vegas look like Mayberry right now. Uh, This city is crazy. This city is just off the rails. There's a a, a temple to every God that you could possibly imagine. Um, Sexual immorality running rampant, just crime, poverty, in the midst of great prosperity on some people. I mean, this is just a place like, Pergamum is a place where you don't wanna walk around by yourself at night, right? Just a lot of problems going on, a a lot of difficulties, just a really dark, dark place. And in the middle of that culture, we have a church. And Jesus is writing a letter here to that church saying, in the midst of a really, really dark area, in a really, really dark culture, we get to look in in, and see in in these verses, what does it look like to be a church in the midst of that? What does it look like to be a group of Christians, followers of Jesus, that find yourself in a culture that is very different than what the Bible says, very different in the way they talk, the way that they act, the way that they carry themselves, what they think is right or wrong, very different from Scripture. Jesus says, what does it look like to find yourself in a morally bankrupt area but you are considered the light in in the darkness. That's the letter that he's writing here to the church in in, in Pergamum that I think uh, we can get a lot from today. Maybe read this passage, and I think the more you look at it, the more you can realize, man, that really looks like the culture in which we find ourselves in as a church today. So if you have your Bible or you have the app, you can open it up, Revelation chapter two. We're gonna pick up the story in verse 12 with Jesus' letter to this church in the third city here, the third church in the book of Revelation. Here's how it starts. To the angel of the church in Pergamum right, to the messenger there, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Here's what Jesus says. I know where you live where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city, the city where Satan lives. That's some pretty strong language. Jesus writes to this church and says, I get it. You are in a dark area. There's a lot going on in your culture and in your world that is opposite of what you believe or opposite is what is found in scripture. And I get it, it is a challenging world. It's a challenging area to live in and to grow up in. Jesus says, I know it looks like evil is winning there. Like I don't know if you've ever looked out into the world and you're like, uh, Jesus, it looks like we're on the losing team right now. It looks like win- evil is winning. So much so that Jesus says, some people look at Pergamum and say, Satan has a throne in that city. Like When you think of Pergamum, who is ruling and reigning? Who's in charge? People would look out and say, yeah, Satan. It looks like Satan is running things in that city. It's the throne of where he lives and where he rules. That's what's used to describe this area. And and, and Jesus pats them on the back, this church on the back here, because he says, even though you live in that type of area, you all have kept your faith. You did not turn your back on God. I know it's hard. I know it's dark. I know it's difficult. I know you got a lot of voices saying a lot of different things around you, but you have stood firm. You are still operating as a church. You're still gathering together. You're still believing in Jesus. And then he throws in, even though, There was actually a guy that some scholars say was a member of the church in Pergamum. There there was a man in this city that lost his life. He was killed because people found out he was a Christian. Like even in the midst of that, people were still hanging in there. They still kept their faith. Jesus said, even though you found out that going to church could actually be harmful to your health, that did not scare you. You didn't turn around and run. You didn't turn your back on God. You remained faithful, even in that sense. And and in that way, Jesus kind of takes these few first verses and kind of pats them on the back. He's like, man, you guys are doing a great job. But here's the pattern in these letters Jesus starts mainly by telling them something that they did well, but then he ends it with, now, we need to have a serious conversation. Like, I, I got a bone to pick with you, church in Pergamum. Like, there, there's something going on. In verse 14, Jesus shows us. He says, Nevertheless, he says, But, <laughs> you know, right, right when they were patting themselves on the back, Yes, sir, we are faithful. Jesus, is like, pump the brakes. But, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Jesus says, I know you're doing some things well, you're remaining faithful, like you still believe in me, but you know, there's a difference between uh, believing that there is a God and believing in God. And here is where Jesus draws the line. He he says, man, let me me show you a way that you're kind of going off the deep end. Here's what the church in Pergamum wanted to do. They wanted to be considered Christians, but they wanted to act like everybody else. They wanted to talk like the world, Act like the world, spend their money like the world, do whatever the world was doing. Scripture says they wanted to go to church on Sundays, but then on Monday through Saturday, they wanted to sleep with whoever they wanted to sleep with. They wanted to talk like whatever words they wanted to say. If it tore down, if it built up it, it didn't matter. There was this line of being a Christian and what it means to follow Jesus and and what your life is built on, the truth that it's built on. And then there's what the world thinks. And and Jesus says, hey, that line for you all is blurring a little bit. It's hard to tell where you're being faithful to Jesus and where you're you're exactly like the world. Like something is going wrong here. And Jesus says, there's two things that are happening. There's two ways that you're blurring the lines. The first one is this. He says, some people within the church are latching on to the teachings of Balaam. So you look up, like, what are the teachings of Balaam? You you can look up Balaam in the encyclopedia, and here's what it says. It says these were Christians, people that claimed in the first century to be followers of Jesus, but on the outside, they looked the same as the culture did. They did the same things, talked the same ways. They ate food, sacrificed to other idols. They would hang out at these other temples and worship other gods as well. But on the other side, if you asked them, are you a Christian? They'd be like, yes, yes. I go to, go to the church in Pergamum, follower of Jesus, absolutely. But their life didn't look anything different than anyone else around them. They were a church that essentially decided, if we're going to be able to do what we want to do, we're going to have to loosen up our doctrine a little bit right? We're not going to be able to be real firm on what the Bible says because there's a lot of things that we want to do that the Bible says that we can't do or that we shouldn't do. And so we don't like that. And so we're going to loosen up a little bit on, on that. This is where phrases in the church of Pergamum, where phrases like this would become more popular with Christians. Listen, guys, you need to be more open-minded. Okay. You don't need to be arrogant and to think that your way, the way found in scripture is the only way. Like, you don't need to tell me that, that the Bible is truth, that it's absolute truth, that this is, this is it right here. Like, that, that's kind of closed-minded. That's arrogant a little bit. That doesn't make people feel comfortable. That's not how you win friends and influence people, right? And so we, if we're going to be a church, this is what we're going to do. We're going to relax a little bit on that. So like, just come on. Some of you people that are sticklers on what the Bible says, just loosen up, okay? Okay? Like, like just here's, here's another phrase that they would say, like, whatever is true for us is great. And so we have our truth, what we believe is true. And then we'll let them, we'll let the world, we'll have, we'll let anybody else have whatever truth they want. And what's true for me is true for me. And what's true for them is true for me. Whatever you want to do, whatever makes you happy, whatever floats your boat, whatever you want to believe, then great. You, you do you and, and I'll do me. You ever heard Christians talk like that? You ever heard people talk like that? They say, you can believe whatever you want to believe and I'll believe whatever, whatever I want to believe. Whatever you believe is, is fine. I have, I've literally had people come up to me and say, um, Nathan, uh, here's the problem that I have with Christianity. Uh, you guys believe as Christians that, that the Bible is the absolute truth. And they will look at me and say, Nathan, I think that's closed-minded. Um, there is no such thing as absolute truth. In which my response is, Do you realize that the statement that you just said is an absolute truth? Because if you're saying there's no absolute truth, that makes that an absolute truth, which means there is absolute truth. It just happens to be your truth that you believe. So let's go back to what truth is. And they say, well, you know, you you can believe what you want to believe, and I want to believe what I want to believe, and everybody can be happy. We can all just get along. And Jesus said there were people inside the church that believed that. I don't know if you've ever been pulled over by a police officer before. I know probably no one in here has. Uh, but if, if that uh, ever happens to you, uh, I want to I give you something to try. Okay, In this realm of there is no truth, that, that my truth can be my truth and your truth can be your truth, there is no absolute truth, try this. The next time you get pulled over by a police officer and they come up to your window, you roll the window down and they say, excuse me, uh, ma'am, uh, or sir, I was gonna make a joke about women being bad drivers, but I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna move past it. Not gonna get there. Not gonna get distracted in that. Excuse me, ma'am. Uh, do you know where I pulled you over? Um, he said the speed limit here is 45. Try this right here. Look at that police officer say, the speed limit is 45? That is great that you think that the speed limit is 45. That is truth to you, and I'm so glad that you agree and that you embrace that truth. Let me tell you what the truth is to me. The truth to me is the speed limit is 65 right here. And I was going 65, and so you can believe whatever you want to believe, and I'll believe whatever I want to believe, and we can just get along and love each other. Try that. Let me know how it works. Because you'll be getting along and loving other people while you're in jail because there is an absolute truth. Go into a restaurant this afternoon and sit down and eat your meal. And when the waitress brings you out your ticket and says, before you leave, you have to pay, just look at them and say, that's great that that's your truth. (laughs) You believe that, don't you? And I love that about you. Here's what I believe. I believe that I can come in here and eat whatever I want to, and I don't have to pay for it. And I'm just gonna walk out. And so you embrace your truth, and I will embrace my truth, and we can love each other and get along. They're going to call the police on you, which goes back to reference number one. You're going to be happy and full of your own truth in prison either way. We wouldn't take that mentality in any other area of our life, but somehow when we think about our spiritual lives, we think, no, there can't be an absolute truth. You can't tell me, Nathan, that this book is what I should build my life on, that, that, that this is the only thing that matters, that this is what is true and nothing else is. Like, I just, I can't get down with that. Jesus said there were people in the church that were starting to believe that about, about Scripture. It didn't stop there. There was a second group that he, that he calls out. He says, verse 15, Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, Nicholas, uh, scholars tell us, was one of the original deacons in the book of Acts chapter 6. So he was a follower of Jesus that somewhere along the journey completely lost his faith and turned his back on Jesus. And one of the things that he tried to do with his life is to take Christians and turn them into ex-Christians and to follow him. And so a Nicolation believed that At one point you believed in absolute truth, but now you don't. At one point you believed that Jesus was the son of God and now you don't. At one point you had very high morals and ethics and values, but now the pendulum swings on the opposite side. We do whatever we want. We say whatever we want. We go wherever we want. There is no rules here. Loose morals, loose doctrine, do whatever you want to do. And did, did you see the process that that went through? Jesus says it starts small. It starts with the people of Balaam that say, well, I'm gonna compromise on one thing. Like I believe 99.9% of the Bible, but there's this 0.1 that I don't agree with, and so I'm just gonna reject that and, and make up my own truth for it. And Jesus says eventually the exposure leads to acceptance. And you move from I don't believe in one thing to now I don't believe in anything because the whole faith fell apart. And Jesus says, there are some people like that that have come into your church that are calling themselves Christians like that, that that, that don't even believe in what the Bible says. And Jesus says, "Let let me share with you how I'm gonna handle that. Verse 16, repent, therefore, repent means turn from the direction you're walking and walk in the other direction. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Savage Jesus. That's the second time in these four verses that we see the word sword. In in verse twelve, it says, "These are the words to him of him who holds the sharp, double-edged sword." Jesus, the imagery of him writing the letter, holding a sharp, double-edged sword. And In verse sixteen, I will fight against them with the sword of their mouth. Like, like, does anybody find that a little bit uh, a little bit daunting? There, that scripture says that you can claim that you are a Christian. And Jesus can actually be fighting against you if your life is not built on the truth of God's word. Like, I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I don't want to be on the opposite side of Jesus, right? Like, I've already got enough people against me. I don't want Jesus against me too. I don't want to be someone in a church that's a follower of Jesus for Jesus to only say, no, no, you don't understand. If your life doesn't line up with this, I'm coming after you. I will fight against you. But we see the sword here used two times uh, because I'm not sure if you know this uh, or not, but a nickname for the Bible is the sword. If you look up in uh, Ephesians 6 where Paul talks about the armor of God, when he talks about the Bible and using the truth of the Bible, he says this is the sword of the spirit. Here's the analogy that Jesus says here. He says, one day I will return. And for people that claim to be Christians that have not built their life on this, then I will come with a sword, the truth of God's word. And every part about your life that does not line up with this will be like the surgeon's scalpel cutting away the things that will cause death and destruction in your life. God says, I will be against you taking those things out. And this will be the standard. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what we build our lives on. This is what the truth is. It's not whatever is true for you is good and let's roll with it and whatever is true for me. And Jesus even goes to the point there where Jesus is saying, your life will be tested based on your obedience to the word. And like a surgeon with a sharp scalpel, the truth of God's word will cut and penetrate our hearts and cut away and cut out anything that does not line up with what he's called us to Now, I realize that is not a super popular message in the culture that we live in today, and it wasn't a popular message for the church in Pergamum either. But I want to leave you with three things. Three things that I want you to be very clear on that I think we can learn from this church first. Uh, Number one is this. If you're taking notes, uh, culture is shifting. Got it? you got to understand, like I know there's some Christians that have their head in the sand right now that they don't understand what's going on, but culture is shifting. Culture is shifting away from the truths that are being taught in Scripture, shifting away from the grand design that God created it to be. So many things are shifting. A part of the conversation right now uh, in in our culture, uh, gender is fluid sexuality is whatever makes you happy. Whatever you wanna do is okay. You can do that. People are deconstructing their faith after years of following Jesus. Decide, I don't even know if I believe this anymore. I don't even know if I like this anymore. What's changing? Culture is changing around us. Here's another thing that is really different. When you talk about what God teaches and what we see in culture right now, one of the biggest examples is the culture of division that we live in right now. Go outside, go downtown, go to your neighbor's house, turn on the news. Everyone is divided right now. We are divided over everything. We are drawing lines in the sands over COVID, over vaccines, over politics. And here's what the world teaches. You ready for this? The world is teaching you right now that if someone is different than you, then you hate them. You have to. If they don't agree with you, if they don't embrace what you're doing, if they don't think like you and talk like you and act like you and vote like you and, 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 and have the same viewpoints as you, then that's because they don't like you, they don't care for you, they don't love you, they hate you, and so our natural response then needs to be hate them. And we draw lines in the sand over those things. And culture is screaming, if you don't support me and you don't love me and you don't embrace me and you don't think the way I do, then we can't be friends, let me show you what the Bible says. Jesus says this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Culture says, hate your enemies and cancel those that culture that, 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 uh, that are persecute you, that don't agree with you. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Here's how we have to be different than the world. Culture is shifting. A little side note, I, sometimes Christians will come up to me and say, can you believe how fast the culture is changing? Can you believe uh, how fast culture is shifting? And I always have the same response. I am never surprised when people that don't love Jesus act like they don't love Jesus. <laughs> like I'm not. I would be more surprised if people that hated Jesus acted like Jesus. Jesus. But I'm not surprised when culture shifts when people don't love Jesus that are in the midst of the culture. And so the response, like we we live in this crazy world where Jesus says that we are to love one another, but the world says we should hate each other. Can I let you in on a little something? Um, We have inside the church, like Team Jesus here, I'm speaking to you. We have to figure out a way to let love cover our different perspectives. We have to figure out a way for love to cover our different preferences we got to figure out a way for love to cover our different viewpoints on COVID and the vaccine and on everything in life that we are so divided on, our views about the pandemic. Jesus said we have to love one another. Jesus said we are to be kind to one another. We are to pray with one another. Jesus said we're going to overlook the petty things in life because those things distract us from the spiritual calling that God has placed on us as the church. You see how different that is than the culture that we live in? Let me give you a secret. You ready for this? I want you to lean in. Don't tell anybody this. Did you know that you can love someone that thinks differently than you? You can. Did you know that you can love someone that voted for someone differently than you did? Did you know that you can love someone that has different viewpoints on anything in this culture, different political, social, economic, spiritual issues? Did you know that there's a possibility that you could disagree with someone and still love them? Yes, Jesus said that. The world says that's impossible. The world says if they don't love you, if they don't 100% agree with 100% of the things that you're doing, then you hate them. You have to. You gotta teach them a lesson. And Jesus says, even the people that are different than you, you love them. And you pray for those, even the people that are treating you poorly. Culture says, hate your enemies and cancel those who persecute you. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So church, which one are you going to do? Jesus says, you're going to let the other things creep in. You're going to let culture creep in and you're going to look like culture or are you going to stand firm. And you're going to build your life on something that is unchanging. Culture is shifting. Like Everybody sees that, and I'm not surprised that that's happening. Here's the second thing that Jesus kind of points out to this church. Not only is culture shifting, but Christians, number two, Christians are drifting. More and more, as culture shifts, Christians begin to drift away from what God called us to. Here's just a couple of examples. There are fewer people today in America that attend church than ever before in the history of our country. Fewer people are involved in a local church. Bible reading right now amongst Christians is at an all-time low. Fewer people are sharing their faith with others, having spiritual conversations, doing evangelism with their lost friends and neighbors than ever before. This one was really the stat that blew my mind. I think I got in, I got in trouble with this at the 9.30 service, got some pushbacks, so I'm gonna say it again a little bit louder at the 11 o'clock service did you know that stats say that 62 percent of Christians do not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Do you know what that means? That means 62 percent of Christians aren't Christians. <laughs> like that's kind of our deal. John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that He gave his only begotten Son that who would ever believe in him, not believe in anyone, not believe in everything, but they would believe. In Jesus, that means you have eternal life. That means you get to heaven when you die. But 62% of Christians are like, I don't want to be closed-minded. Like, I just kind of want to fit in with culture. Who am I to say that I'm the only one that knows the truth that is found in Scripture? Many Christians today believe that their personal experiences and feelings are what matter the most. Somebody came up to me the other day and said, why do you think that there are so many young people walking away from the faith? Why are there so many millennials, people my age, 40 and under, walking away from Jesus? And I said, it's simple. Because they were taught that whatever their personal experiences are and feelings are, that's the true north. That's the only thing that matters. Not not what the Bible says. It's it's what you think. It's what you believe. They were taught that the Bible is not a, a book that is the foundation of our life, but it's just a book of helpful suggestions. Take it or leave it, You know, just copy and paste whatever you want to out of it. This is a generation that taught, was taught that God exists just to make their life better, just to make my life easier, that the Bible is just a self-help book. Well, the problem with that is, if this book is a self-help book, then that means this book is about you, and it's not. Nobody wants to read a book about you. You are not that cool. You are not that important. This book is about Jesus and what God has done for you through his son. But when you are a generation that has a faith built on all of those things and ultimately believes that you should do whatever makes you happy, guys, if that were my faith, I'd walk away from it too. (laughs) That's a lame faith. I'm not going to build my life on that. I want to build my life on something that matters. Jesus looks at the church and says, do you want to build your life and set your truth to whatever culture says? Because culture changes their mind every five minutes. What if you built your life on something that has stood the test of time, that was timeless? So Jesus says, there's your choice. What are you going to build your life on? Are you going to be a church that continues to drift away from the truth? Or are you going to be a a church and a group of people that instead of asking the question, what does the Bible say? Our culture has begun to ask the question, so what do you think? It doesn't matter what this says. I'm not asking what this says. What do you think? Because if you and I think differently than this, then that probably means we're smarter than this. And let's just change the rules. Jesus says it can be one or the other. You'll be a church that is drifting away from the truth or a church that has rooted its life in these things. What are you going to do? What are you going to build your life on? Culture is shifting. The church is drifting. And number three, God is sifting. They rhyme because I love you. In verse 16, it says that, that God is coming for those. Jesus will come back and sift the church. Here's, here's what sifting is. It's a farming term, right? Um, you get a head of wheat or any kind of grain and the grain has a shell on the outside of it a husk almost think like a uh, an ear of corn well what a, what a farmer does back in the day we have machines that do this now but there's a process where the seeds are placed like you can place them in your hand and the the grains and and with pressure and friction rubbing them back together the, the husk, the outside will rub off of the grain and the, the husk and the, the, the outside shell will blow off in the wind and what is left is the true essence, the grain, the thing that is worth something. And God says this, he says, right now, I, I see this, God is sifting his church And he's sifting followers of Jesus and says, like a surgeon with a scalpel with the truth of the word of God, I will let it pierce and penetrate your soul and show you what stands the test of time. I'll show you what matters as it compares to what God has. And he will strip away everything else until we are left with the essential because God will not be able to reach a compromised world with a compromised church. And so he says there's some sifting that happens in that. God calls this church to be different. He says, look, I know what culture does, I get it. I understand what's going on in the world today. I've put you here to be a light in the darkness. And so that's the idea that I wanna leave you um, with. God has called us to be different. Here's the reality, you and I hate the word different. That's the last thing that any one of us have wanted to be our entire lives. We grew up just wanting to fit in. Wear the clothes at school where people won't make fun of you. Talk in the way that, that, that you'll just fit in with the crowd. Nobody wants to be different. So how do you combat that? How do you hear a message where Jesus is saying, you are different and you're, 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 you're living in a world that no one wants to be different. Everyone wants to just fit in. Well, well let me leave you with this. Let, let's look just for a second at what it looks like to not be different. What if you were like everyone else? Let me give you some stats. Let's talk about relationships. Did you know in America, over 50% of marriages end in divorce? That what you want? You wanna be like everybody else? Or you wanna be different? God's got a plan for marriage. He lays it out here. But if you want to be like everybody else and experience the shame and the heartbreak and the trauma and the pain that's associated with that, then do it. Be like everyone else. I don't want to be like everyone else. I want to be different. There's, there's relationships. Let's talk about money. Normal in our world, being like everyone else, is being in constant pursuit of material possessions. That's all our world thinks about All they want is more, bigger and better and more. Can I share the stats with you? Uh, Normal in our country is broke. Normal in our country is filled with debt. Did you know that 70% of people in the United States are living paycheck to paycheck and have less than $1,000 in their bank account? Like if you had a medical emergency or your car needs an oil change, 70% of Americans can't afford it. Do you wanna be normal? Is that what you want? Like, like, do you want to be like everybody else? When scripture tells you how to honor God with your money and how to do finances God's way, which which one do you want? I don't want to be broke. I don't want to be like everyone else. It's time to be different. Let's look at our calendars. In America, you look at the schedule, majority of people when they talk about their time, they admit I am overwhelmed, I am rushed, I am stressed, I am I am just completely at my max. I wish that I could spend more time with family and friends and hobbies and doing things that I want to do, but I'm just like everyone else, and all I ever do is work and grind and focus. Do you want that? You want to get to the end of your life and say, Boy, I regret all of this. I wish that I'd have spent more time on what really matters. Scripture talks about a way that you can honor God with your time that includes rest and a Sabbath, honoring Him with your life that'll bring fulfillment and satisfaction in your life. You wanna be like everybody else or you wanna be different? Let's talk about a job. Majority of Americans say there is zero satisfaction in what they do. They do not like what they do for a profession. There is no meaning or purpose other than making a dollar and paying the bills. You ask Americans, why do you work? And he said this, the sole purpose is just so that I can make money and pay my bills. My boss is a jerk. My coworkers are lazy. I come home every day, tired and frustrated and wake up every morning wishing that I didn't have to go back to work. That is everyone else. Do you want that? Hey, newsflash, normal is broken. Normal ain't working. God says, how long are you gonna drift away from the timeless truth? How much do you wanna be like everybody else? Because if you want pain, if you want shame, if you want heartbreak, if you want anxiety, if you wanna live day to day with no purpose, then that's what the world has to offer you. Let me show you what scripture has to offer you. Satisfaction and fulfillment and peace and happiness and an understanding that God has a purpose for your life that you can walk into maybe today. So maybe today for the very first time, you realize normal is not working and I'm ready to be different. I don't wanna be like everybody else. So when so-called normal people come up to you and say, your life looks weird, your life looks different, then you can say, well, if a normal life includes having terrible relationships and no satisfaction and being broke, then you can have all of that you want. I'm gonna do it different. I'm gonna see what God has for my life. Nobody wants what normal people have because normal is broken. And Jesus gives us an opportunity at something fresh. Followers of Jesus are different. Not we are different, but different in a good way. Because listen, if if people that follow Jesus are no different than people that don't follow Jesus, then why in the world would anybody want to follow Jesus? We're different, man. Normal's broken. Let's do what God says here. Repent of our sin. Turn away from where we got distracted and start walking back towards Jesus. Let me pray for you. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with the words that we have just heard. Every person in this room is building their life on something, some foundation, some truth that they are attaching to. God, help us not to waste our lives and get distracted from things that will push us further away from the promise and the purpose that you have for us. God, we wanna be a light in the darkness. We wanna be different than culture and offer hope in the midst of a broken world. Do that with us today. Pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Revo podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at